When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, you find myself, David and Matt, the tennis podcast team, in the spot where the bullring used to be here at Roland Garros. David is, well, grinning from ear to ear, quite frankly, as he has been throughout day one of the French <laughs> Open 2022. It's, um, look, the bullring was a lovely court, wasn't it? Um, I don't know. I'd love to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a lovely court. It was brilliant. It was atmospheric. I'm very pleased though that there's some wide open space now where the bull ring used to be because that's something that this site has always missed yeah to use a football analogy given we've actually been watching quite a lot of football today lots of tennis as well but we did get a bit distracted by the football i feel like the bull ring was good as some park lots of soul yes. a little bit falling down yes um like but if you miss you, it. if you took one pillar away the whole thing would collapse <laughs> mm. not quite fit for purpose anymore yes right okay yes but uh look there's a there's a lovely grassy knoll over david's left shoulder there's coach philippe chatrier over david's right shoulder and there's uh, a lot of closed food stands over both my shoulders because it's uh, around about five past nine on day one of the french open there are a few spits and spots of matches still going but the majority of the day's business has been done and uh well the days of the sort of slightly slow stuttering sunday starts to the french open seem to be over because um they rather hit the ground running this year, didn't they? There was a a strange atmosphere to Ons Jabeur's loss on the first match of the day on Philippe Chatrier today. Uh, it was it was all over extremely weird, I thought. Yeah, I think it started weird because it was empty pretty much when when the players walked out, and that's that's because it was scheduled at eleven o'clock in the morning, and and. Whilst Amelie Moresmo in the Amelie Moresmo story that we recorded yesterday um, is, according to Marion Bartoli that we, we, we spoke to on that show, trying to change all that and get people in their seats earlier, particularly those low-down seats that all the, the high spenders have, you know, it was, it was too, too empty and it, was, and it was a shame in that way. But then for her to, to go up a set... 
given all that's been happening in her career in the last few months and lose like that, albeit to a player who was playing seriously well and rising to the challenge in Magdalenette, as kind of picked by Matt. Well, Matt. I don't know whether the result was picked, but certainly the 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 form. That, stop s- nodding, Matt. That is generous from David. <laughs> so pleased you brought that up, David, because I was gonna. Th- it was gonna be awkward for me to bring it up because I really didn't pick it. Well, that's why. I th- but I also do want a bit of credit. Um, <laughs> so you, you hold on. You picked Magdalenette to lose. I picked Magda Lynette to lose. Right. I just he said it was a tricky round kept on using the word tricky, David, over and over again. Kept saying, well, she's a bit tricky. Tricky customer. Tricky customer. Mm. She, uh, she beat Onzebro, as you said, David, from a set down. Three, six, seven, six, seven, five. I've written here, un catastrophe. For, <laughs> for 45, Matt worked out of our 69 predictors. That is 67% of the people in our predictions competition, us included, uh, well, me and, me and Matt included, that had Ons Jabeur in the final. 96% of our predictors had her in the quarterfinals. It's nice to have company, is what I would say. <laughs> Misery about loves that. company. Yeah. yeah. And I, I felt that after the match and Jabeur had lost and was out of the tournament, you know, kind of before it's already even started, I was left with a bit of a strange feeling because that was a big shock. You know, she'd won 17 matches on clay, the Madrid champion, the Rome finalist. She was absolutely in great form and lots of people, as those numbers point out, were picking her to go far. And yet I found it quite difficult to process the sort of impact that it was having on on the tournament. And I just think it didn't and this, this may sound ridiculous to some people, but to me, it didn't feel like a tournament contender had gone out. No. You know when a big shock happens and you feel it all around the grounds and, you know, there's a sort of buzz kind of that accompanies a big shock like that. It wasn't quite like that. And I don't know whether that's because maybe some people here aren't as familiar with Ons Jabeur as maybe they could be or should be perhaps. I also think it says just how dominant Igor Sviontek feels in my mind. And that feels like the only result in the women's draw, Sviontek losing early, which would just, you know, send everyone mad and thinking, oh, my God, this tournament's been blown wide open kind of thing. I think it has thrown that bottom half open, of course, because so many of us thought Javeau would go deep. Um, but I don't know, it just didn't have the feeling of arguably the second favourite for the tournament going out because Uh, she's such a distant second favourite perhaps. I thought the timing of it was was part of that situation as well. I just don't think you know, on a lazy Sunday in Paris people were prepared for the second favourite to to crash out in the first match of the day. I just don't think... People people, are not tuned in yet No, they're not And, and as I, you know, kicked things off by saying... People don't think of this Sunday... I think people do still think of this Sunday start as a bit of an accoutrement. You know, it's it's a nice extra day for the fans. But we don't actually expect anything sort of tournament-changing mm. to happen on these opening days, I don't think, do we? Maybe a a, a moderate-sized upset just to just to yeah. wet the taste, but wet like the appetite a bit. But They've set it up almost to... yeah Exactly. Be it's, a, it's a prep day. Yeah. yeah. It feels like... It feels like Jabir should be back on Tuesday. Yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't really started. It must started be yet. exceptionally weird for her. I it must feel like she's it. lost before she started. Is that part of why she's lost? Even the fact possibly. that possibly. Well, on I, this extra look, day. I 
and just to emphasise Matt's point about it not really having the impact that you would expect, she was put in press conference room two. Mm. Um, and Which I, is much smaller, isn't Much, it? much smaller. And um, Matt and I tried to squeeze lunch in before her appointed time of 2.50. And I was, I was two minutes late for the press conference and they'd already moved on from English questions, which left me in the very tricky situation <laughs> of having to ask a question in French. Um, <laughs> which I would say didn't go brilliantly. I mean, not. I mean, Ons was lovely, but I, I suffered from performance anxiety, and I don't think I expressed myself brilliantly. Um, but I asked her about walking out um, to an empty stadium, and what that felt, what that felt like for her. Sort of the contrast of walking out onto one of the biggest stages you've ever played on, being one of the tournament favourites in this incredible, you know, close to indestructible run of form eager Schwantek aside and yet absolutely nobody being there it being a sort of cold damp day and the atmosphere being extremely flat you know it barely feeling like a Grand Slam tournament and um, she she didn't dismiss the question but she talked about the fact that she spotted some Tunisian flags uh, in the crowd and she focused on those and how wonderful they were for her to see which I completely understand um, but yeah just the fact that she was in in press conference room two was extremely mm. bizarre. I, d- I do think people here are just not used to her yet as well. I don't think... I think in tennis, in the tennis bubble, this is a shock to us, yes. And the, and look, the, the, the 70-odd people that are in our predictions competition are all friends of the tennis podcast, huge podcast fans. Uh, sorry, huge <laughs> tennis fans. Hopefully and, huge podcast fans <laughs> as well. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, they're... they're they're in tune with what's going on and I think if it's a bit I think the same would be true at Wimbledon if you did a a bit of a poll of people out in the grounds there'd not be that much familiarity necessarily with Onstjabera and certainly the rise she's had in recent months I think you have to do it for a bit longer than that in in order to to maybe register Um, and look and that's added to the, the time of the day because people don't come in for that match really and 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 that's you know that's going to be a talking point for us for for tomorrow but it's it is a day starter of a time slot 11 o'clock local time um and then people have lunch and then they're really you know i when i was down on on longland for the sort of second match of the day people were ready for it people were up and at it then you know but on chatria on the main court 11 o'clock it's it's a it's not a great atmosphere. It's not a great feel, to be honest. Yeah, it's a really big job that Amelie Moresmo has got on her hands to, as you know, as we think, want to change that. You know, that's that's going to be difficult. But I really hope she perseveres because it would make such a difference. Um, mm. I just think, you know, talking about how we felt after this, I felt sad for Anz Jabeur. You know, this was this was a big opportunity, a big chance. As I said, the form she was in, she was in the other half to Sviontek, and. You know, you you don't know how long this brilliant form is going to last. And well, she, what this is to the her best then? form of her career. She, well, look, Magdalenette keeps you honest. I know that's sort of damning with tricky. faint praise, isn't it? She she's nothing if not tricky, David. Um, she does not miss. She will. She she makes you earn a victory, and it was slow, heavy, damp conditions. It was very hard to hit winners out there, and. It was very different to Madrid. Very, for it couldn't be more different to Madrid. And I thought Jabeur was panicking a bit about the fact that she 
wasn't, you know, winning the points that she would have been winning in Rome and in in, in Madrid. And she, the patience came in and out, I think, and she 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 got frustrated. You know, she felt felt like she was having to win points several times over and Lynette just did her thing got the balls back hit to a length extremely consistent and and sensed the weakness in Jabur yeah and I think Lynette you know she she countered Jabur's drop shot with some great drop shots of her own I I find her quite difficult to read as a player Lynette I don't really know where she's going to hit the ball all the time with with her technique Um, but definitely Jabur let it slip you know she was set up she was 4-3 up and had Love 40 on Lynette's serve. She was a mini break up in the second set tie break. You know, she should have closed it in two. But even when she didn't, I still felt that she would draw upon those experiences she'd had in Rome where she won loads of matches, you know, from really difficult positions. I felt like that would give her so much confidence to come through a tricky match like this. But, yeah, just, just, just didn't have it. And honestly was outplayed Mm. Lynette played better than her she described it in press afterwards as a gaspillage given her recent form which is a lovely word it means waste she said it was just just a wasted opportunity given how well she's been playing but she said I'm going to try really hard to not be hard on myself about this and use it as something to reflect on and learn from and once again I'm just going to say on and Wimbledon yeah um, and Hannah on our Twitter apparently taking your advice or your inspiration immediately put her weight of, uh, of, of finance I think even behind Ons Jabeur to, to win I that can title I see it Wimbledon's. and I don't think today's results <laughs> makes Wimbledon any more or less likely for Ons Jabeur personally no I mean I suppose you just hope there's no hangover from the Gaspillage, you know, having having such a good opportunity and not taking it. If she has a good opportunity again, does this come back to her? I don't know, but she's great on grass. I think she's better. She's maybe she's maybe able to separate herself a bit more on grass because there are fewer mm. good players on yeah. that surface. Still a pretty big barrier there, though. I would say mm. because until you've done it, you don't mm. know how to do it. Yeah. Mm. Not in a mix in David's <laughs> lifetime yet. Well. Hey, Ons Jabeur's loss is potentially, well, Coco Goff's game, but also David Law's game, folks, because <laughs> there was a, a five-minute period in the press room this morning where David was debating and... Internally. And what was he doing? How would you describe what he was, was doing? Having was, an internal it, tussle. He was having a moment to himself. Jabeur or Goff? Jabeur, Jabeur or, Goff. or Goff? In the semis, so I've already put Jabeur in the semis, well done. Uh, but who was going to reach the final out of those two? And I mean, look, maybe neither of them will, but I think it's it says something that they are the players that I think will get that far because I don't think there are that many obvious contenders reading that bottom half of the draw from big names or top seeds or anything. Well, Goff was already in a very very tasty looking section of the draw and it's just got that bit tastier hasn't it she had a tricky opener today against qualifier Rebecca Marino um, who you might call tricky (laughs) looking at how she stormed through qualifying sort of barely losing any games and there were tricky moments in that opening set yeah yeah she was she was 5-2 up I think Goff and then it uh, it ended up really close it was 5-all when I got over there to 
the uh, Simone Mathieu court and uh, that was my first chance to go over there and and if you've never been there or if you've not heard us talk about it before um, I remember Catherine and Matt talking about it when it was first introduced to Roland Garros three years ago you walk off into the distance and you think you've gone the wrong way because you end up in what is like a little wood and and genuinely I can hear the birds singing when I'm over there. And, and when I found the court, I mean, then the, you get into the distance and the court appears and you think, really? Is this, is, have I got this right? Is that a tennis court? <laughs> because this is nowhere near anything else in, at Roland Garros. And I, I took my seat and by that time it was probably half full because it was getting, getting later in the day. But again, you could hear the birds singing whilst you're sitting there in your court seat I've n- I don't ever remember having that experience before at a tennis tournament you know not even at Wimbledon um, but when I joined it it was 5 all. Um, Rebecca Marino had been hitting the living daylights out of the ball she'd actually been taking the initiative in, in, in the rallies but I think Goff showed she is she's, she's on it at the moment and she was just sort of getting herself behind as many balls as possible got the break raced through the second set and also, you know, d- dealt with a little issue she had with umpire Mariana Veljevic with regard to coaching. Because on the WTA tour, we should say that they, Steve Simon was telling us the other, the other week that the players are allowed to talk to their coaches in the coaching box. Here at the Grand Slams, they're not. And, and this is only on the women's side. On the men's side, you can't do it either. But the, the manner, Matt, in which Coco Goff did that and had that discussion was rather different to some of the others that we've come across in recent months yeah it it really was it really stood out to me and you know those others are basically on the ATP tour as you said where it's not allowed and therefore we quite often see players get called for it and I would say the vast majority of the time I find those interactions between the player and the umpire uncomfortable I think a lot of the players are unable to put their point across without actually being insulting to the umpire Um, but Coco Goff handled it I thought with such class Um, she was firm but she was really polite, she was understanding of the umpire's decision but she said look I really don't think it was coaching I've I've told my dad since I was eight um, don't don't coach me, just clap You know, I don't want to be coached and we don't have hand signals and she was absolutely adamant that she wasn't being coached and as you said, she didn't let it affect her performance at all because she was really, really good in that second set. Yeah, just a, just a really mature, classy moment from Coco Goff, I felt. Where are all these people come from, Catherine? Suddenly we're surrounded. They, I believe, have just left the final match on Philippe Chatrier Stadium where Carlos Alcaraz has got his French Open title-winning campaign off <laughs> the down. mark. One down, six to go. He's beaten Juan Ignacio Londero in three straight sets. I watched the majority of the first two sets and I would describe what I saw as routine but not comfortable. There was never a moment where you felt like Alcaraz might not win, but it was an unquestionably rusty Carlos Alcaraz we were watching, which... Which makes total sense. Obviously, he hasn't he hasn't played for for a couple of weeks, and he was probably a bit tense out there. You know, all this pressure heaped on his shoulders, that won't be escaping him. I personally think he will deal with it over the course of this fortnight. But dealing with it doesn't mean not feeling it. And I imagine sort of having to wait the whole day to get out on court probably 
doesn't help that situation not knowing what kind of time you'll you'll end up getting out on court so there were all those factors which contributed to it not being I don't know can a 19 year old have a vintage but it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't vintage Carlos Alcaraz my brother in our newly renamed (laughs) Alcarazmataz group (laughs) how long has he been working on that (laughs) he says six months and the other candidate uh, for the name was Alcarazzle Dazzle. <laughs> so he's already got the next name up his sleeves. He said uh, he's he's barely even thrashing him, which I think is is quite a good assessment of what was happening. I mean, there were moments where he unleashed his full power, and it it looked like a joke. You know, Londero just was just sort of his weight was falling backwards. Mm. You know, in in shock at the at the brute force and you know there were some lovely drop shots you saw you saw the stuff you just didn't see it as consistently as we were seeing in Madrid and it was you know there were some mishits in there and just wasn't hitting quite as crisply but it does I don't think that means anything for Carlos Alcaraz at this French Open personally I I joined you um, in the the press seat just at the end of the first set he'd won it 6-4 and right at the start of the second he had a rally where he was attacking and Londero did incredibly well to stay and lifted I think three separate lobs that all landed on the baseline on in different corners and what struck me in the rally was the footwork of Alcaraz the fleet-footedness and the way he's on his tiptoes you, you don't hear his footwork. It's not like some of the players that are, are quick, but they're thundering in towards the ball. He, he looks like he's barely touching the clay with his, the soles of his shoes and, and all of that to kind of get around the backhand. And it's not that he's got a rubbish backhand, but he just wants to hurt you with his forehand. He wants to end the point when he has the full weight of that forehand behind it. And I kind of compare this match to the one in Monte Carlo which he ended up losing to to Seb Corda having come off that that title win in Miami and look I'd never expected him to lose this match but it was it wasn't him in cruise control yet he wasn't he's not ready he's not finely tuned enough because he's had these couple of weeks off or or, or certainly a week off and I think that he's just going to get better that's it. I think, if anything, it's a good sign. Mm. Winning when you're not playing at your best, doing mm. it in straight sets. You know, we've seen top players do that throughout their careers. They build their way into these tournaments. You know, there's literally no point peaking in round one if you don't have to. There's a funny thing that that happens in Carlos, Carlos Alcaraz matches now. Uh, I'm talking about that as if there's a, a massive data set of Carlos Alcaraz matches when there's really not. But I particularly noticed it today, which is noses being put out of joint, at, you know, from established long-time pros at some 19-year-old coming along and sort of out-hitting them by an order of magnitude. There were a few <laughs> points today where Juan Ignacio Londero, just sort of a hint of ego kicks in and he went, well, I'm going to hit the ball as hard as I can and that's going to be really, really hard. It might not be quite as hard as you, but I can hit the ball hard as well. And I'm going to grunt. Yeah, problem is that when the opponent hits the ball really, really hard, Alcaraz's legs can usually track it down. And and then he gets a little bit, his chest puffed out. Yeah. He said, right then, yeah. let's, let's have it. Yeah, so Alcaraz marches on to round number two. Who else marched on to round number two today? Well, not Garbini Muguruza, the former champion. She 
was upset by Kaya Kanepi. Was it an upset? Probably not. She was beaten by Kaya Kanepi, folks. It's up to you whether you find that unexpected. I, I said it on, in our WhatsApp group with Hannah. She won the first set and failed to complete the upset over Kaya Kanepi, you know, because I really felt that Kanepi would, would win that match. You know, that's exactly the sort of match that Kanepi wins. She, she preys on slightly vulnerable top ten seeds in the opening week of slams. She's been doing it as long as I can remember, probably since about 2008 or something. Um, but, and, and I should say, it was also exactly what I expected from Garbine Muguruza. I was looking at her recent record. Five of her last seven losses have been from a set-up. You know, she is, wow. she is taking the lead in matches. We saw her do it against Martina Trevisan the other day in, in Rabat on the telly. And then suddenly, whether it's just a lack of confidence to be able to close, but something is happening and she, she is then letting the opponent back in and ending up losing these matches in three sets. And it's exactly what happened today. And we went to a press conference, didn't we? And she's very, very aware of that situation and that trend. But at a loss of what to do about it there was a bit of a, a running theme with her and with Dominic Team, who we'll talk about in a moment of being very very aware of their situation but also sort of saying I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and have faith that it will come good in the end and only time will tell if that's that's a good good ploy and I, I get it you know these are two players that have had tremendous success so why would you think that you know that won't come good in in the end it's been good enough once it's you know it's backing yourself I suppose which in when things are going well we always praise as as the right thing to do but yeah Dominic Team cut a bereft figure in press today after his straight sets defeat to Hugo Delian out on the Simone Mathieu court it's his 11th defeat in a row that straddles that straddles the wrist surgery that's before and after comeback and it was one of the most one-sided defeats. I don't think any of us expected Dominic Team to come back and find form straight away. The, the fact that he's not winning lots is not necessarily alarming. I think the manner of these defeats and the way he's trending is alarming what, what for is me. He, I'm, I'm really worried. What is he not that he used to be? If you, if you were to look at the before and the after, because I, I didn't it's, see it's much the, of it. <sighs> In very, very sort of technical terms, it's the forehand. And the it? serve, I think. The forehand yeah. and the serve are the, are the strokes which look completely compromised. Um, and I would say team at his best was electrifying. Mm. You know, the way it's he... The, the explosive. He was explosive. Mm. The way he threw himself into shots and, and he threw himself in, into the ball. He'd overwhelm opponents. He would. No and matter what they he did. He had so much power. He was, he was, he was my favourite player to watch for a period mm. in, in, in men's tennis. And just a shadow of that player. And look, if you'd, if you'd said to me that um, Dominic Team had, had made his comeback and he wasn't in pain, I'd have thought, oh, that's great. That's mm. really good news because that was what I was most worried about, that the, that the pain would still be there and that this was still being caused by pain, perhaps. But he, he was absolutely categoric that he's not in pain. He just said he's really 
tight and he, and he said it's toxic for his forehand the way yeah. he's feeling on court it's a great turn of phrase in a second language wasn't it yeah he said he said I'm practicing fine but in match situations I get I get tight and my my forehand becomes toxic now there's there's two things that could be going on here and it, it very well could be a bit of a bit of both but I'm not inside Dominic team's wrist nor am I <laughs> Nor am I a wrist expert, so I, I don't know. But either either he's technically not able to hit the forehand like he used to be able to because of something that's changed in his anatomy as a result of this injury and surgery, or it it's mental. And as a result of the surgery, he doesn't have the faith and the confidence in the wrist that he, that he once did. My suspicion is that it's a, a bit of both. Um... I obviously desperately hope it's the second thing. But even so, sort of to say that a problem is mental is not to minimise it. That's still a problem that needs overcoming and addressing. I asked him in press today, have you, given that you've just explained to us that this is a an issue that's occurring in matches and as a result of getting tight, have you considered consulting a mental coach or a sports psychologist? And he said sort of gave the impression that that hadn't even occurred to him really he said no look that's not something I've ever done before sort of you know I, I know what I'm doing um with with my practice and he had told a uh another journalist hasn't he I forget who it was who had asked you know are you doing what you always used to do in practice or are you trying to do anything different to change things you know bit Muguruza like and he was adamant no I'm doing I'm doing all the things that I do and I I have to have faith that it will come good with patience. Yeah, I mean, you said it. It was this strange mix of acceptance that it's going to take time. And, you know, he said months was was the time frame he put on it. But also a bit of denial that time alone, I don't think, is going to change it. He he has to actively do something to make it better now. And we've talked about it before, but... The issue of stubbornness in sport, I mm. do find fascinating. Can I offer you a bit of hope? Please. I remember when one Martin Del Potro came back a few years ago and couldn't hit his backhand properly and he was slicing it relentlessly and he didn't have the confidence to hit it with two hands. Um, but he gained it back, he got it back. And if you remember, he had the best period in, okay, not of his whole career, but he got to the Olympic final he got to the US Open final he won the Davis Cup and he hit the forehand for instance like he used to hit it and took breath away but the forehand the was process. never the issue well I think it, I think look it wasn't in the and comeback it, but it was I mean look he had a wrist injury that kept him out of the game and he had both wrist injuries surgery on them um, I, I just want, feel like I want that to believe a, in that. That took a long time for him to come back. Yeah. And and I didn't think he ever would. So, I mean, look, those 11 match wins and losses in a row shocked me when you told me that. And I, when I watched some of the games, I did watch a few of the games against Hugo Delian today, I was really taken aback by watching Dominic Team play on the defence all the mm. time. He was always slicing his backhand from way out just to get it back in the court. And... Uh, and he did say he's going to play some challenges now. I think. Yeah. I think in good Italy, move. and I, I think that's a good move. He, mm. he needs, he needs to be playing at a lower level mm. because his levels 
nowhere near good enough at the yeah, moment. He was, I think he was very accepting of that, wasn't he? I really hope so. I, 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 I think for me, what makes me very concerned in the mo- at the moment is Andy Murray's voice. He's, he's not getting closer. <laughs> um, yeah, the trending is in the wrong direction. But maybe dropping down a level and just getting a bit of confidence on his, under his belt will change that. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. What else did we see today? We saw the world's worst five-set match involving Felix Auger-Eliassime. She's not exaggerating. It was absolutely <laughs> dire. Um, Juan Pedro Varillas, uh, second match on the Philippe Chatrier court today. Felix's first ever win at Roland Garros. I hope he finds it memorable because I certainly won't. <laughs> I mean, does anyone have anything to say? I mean, well done on getting through it. But to lose the first two sets, 6-2, 6-2... I just don't understand how that happens. You, did you go in his press conference, Matt? I mean, I couldn't get my head around it. Anything to tell. <laughs> well, it's his first ever win from two sets down. So, you know, congrats so, and all that. So, but still. Presumably, today will be very memorable. Well, that's it. I think, I think so, he'll remember it. Yeah. Um, Good luck watching the tapes back, Felix. Make <laughs> <laughs> yourself a drink. <laughs> so I asked him about, you know, how did he, how did he find belief at two sets down when he's literally never come back from that position before and he he gave such a tennis player answer you know I I, I just never would have thought of this he just said well forget about the score and focus on the reasons why the score is as it is and it was because of the things he was doing and he was serving terribly in those first two sets He, he, he sorted out his serve he just focused on his game and just sort of played the you know just played the points rather than worrying about the score and I, and I, I think that's quite impressive not to panic in that situation from two sets down and what I would say is 
I went out to watch him against Emil Roussevori in the first round, I think, of the Australian Open this year. And he lost a set six love in the, middle, in the middle of that match and was all over the place. And by the end of the Australian Open, he was playing probably the best tennis I've ever seen him play in that match against Medvedev. So he does have a bit of form in terms of working his way into tournaments this year. So it might be a match to just get out of his system and get through and draw something from it. But I didn't watch a lot of it and I was mostly getting updates from you and it, it sounded horrible. <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. It was so bad that David went back to Suzanne Longland to resume watching John Isner. <laughs> yes, I did. I, I was having the time of my life I, over there. I, I'm so pleased that David's had a great first day at Roland Garros and he honestly has. He's been smiling the whole time. But you have watched a lot of John Isner today. <laughs> I would Friends of the pod, you sent us all the way to Paris, paid for us to be here for two weeks, so David can give you a point-by-point report <laughs> on John Isner's win over French wildcard Quentin Alice. And Off uh, you go, David. I would counter that Quentin Alice and the crowd atmosphere are what I really take from that match. <laughs> now, look, I, to be fair to John Isner, he, he handled that situation admirably because... I don't quite know how it has passed me by. I mean, obviously, I've never been here before. But I, I would have thought that what I experienced today would have come through the TV a bit more than it had. Because the beauty of Suzanne Longland, that court, is that um, our press seats, which I didn't know this, and Matt had told me they were very good, but when I arrived, I, I was almost in the blooming line judges seats it felt like I was so close to the court and I was the only person in the press box nobody else was interested in this match whatsoever at the start but I you know I've got the day off kind of thing today to just go and enjoy uh, the experience of being here and and I sat on the front row for the whole first set and anything that went well for content Alice was just greeted with this roar that went all around the stadium and it it struck me just how knowledgeable the French crowd is about tennis. That they, it, it took them no time at all to know what was happening in a rally and react to it correctly. Sort of how, how a, somebody who really understands the sport and gets what the players are doing and, and the moment to, to really let rip and cheer. And, and it, was, it was the most wonderful noise. He's a, he's a really talented player, Elise. He's, he's 86 in the world. It's his highest ranking. But he's built it on the Challenger Tour. He's won loads of tournaments on the Challenger Tour this year. But he's had no real major tournament uh, performances. I think he's won and won on the ATP Tour this year. But he's got sort of 30-odd wins on the Challenger Tour. And he plays great from the baseline. But he just... And then... And then the mood killer, isn't it, comes in and just thwacks down three serves and you could hear a pin drop. Um, but to be fair to him, he took it, he, he kind of rubbed out marks on the clay that were going, that, that were close, you know, that, that helped his cause a little bit with the crowd. And then he gave actually a very good interview um, after the match, I think, to Alex Correccio, one of the people they've got doing the interviews this year. And the crowd appreciated him, but at least, honestly, you would have thought the biggest rock star in France had come into the stadium to play the match. I can't imagine how how a player must feel to hear that. It must be so uplifting to think all of these people are cheering my every move. Move, it's wonderful. You've grown very attached to a player who's no longer in the tournament, well, David. <laughs> it was my first time on the court, and I loved it. Can I recommend Gregoire Barret? 
because he was getting a similar reception out on and won court today. 14 and he won. That's why I'm suggesting oh. it. Still in the tournament. <laughs> Isn't it did not know he'd got a French player in the next round because he was asking the crowd, if I next round, can you cheer for me if I'm not against a Frenchman? Well, he is against a Frenchman. Right. It's not Gregoire Barrère, is it? Yes. I mean, is it? <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you knew. <laughs> no, no yes, idea. it is him, yeah. <laughs> um, David, while you were... Well, you were deep diving on John Isner. Matt was having his day ruined by Alejandro Davidovich Fakina huh? in um, in a period of time that I quite enjoyed because I was just watching watching Matt despair, which isn't something you get to see all that often. <laughs> but it was he does it in a very amusing amusing way. I, I, I it was it was particularly funny because I was there yesterday when Matt said, "I'm going to play it safe with my first day prediction. I'm going to go for Alejandro Davidovich Fakina." <laughs> No, he's, he's made me look a fool. I, I backed him in our long tournament predictions to reach the quarterfinals and in my daily predictions. Everywhere I could possibly back him, I was backing Davidovich Fakina. That's a bad loss. Lost mm, to Talon Greekspoor, yeah, the Dutchman. He, he's, he's had a lot of really kind of heartbreaking losses on the clay this season. I remember he lost 7-5 in the third to Siafo and Estoril. He lost... A final set tiebreak to Hercatch in, in Madrid. He lost a three-setter to Felix Auger-Aliassime, I think, after serving for the match in Rome. And he just hasn't been able to build on that Monte Carlo final where he was fantastic that tournament. And, look, it's a heart pick. I love his tennis. I love his pet adoption agency. I love his Aww. odd socks. I just think he's great. And I think it's a shame he's out because he's... He's a, he's a fun time. It's a, it's a good result, that, for Alexander Zverev, who beat Sebastian Ofner today very comfortably because he, he was the really dodgy potential opponent in, uh, in his quarter, Zverev. So um, good result for him. Um, other notable results today, what did we have? I think we've just had a win for Leila Fernandez over, over Christina Nedenovic late on Longlen, I think yeah. that one. That's my prediction for mm. the day one That's gone why wrong. I mentioned it. And Sloane Stevens was a winner today. That was my prediction. Yeah, I saw the end of that, actually. Um, and uh, that was the match preceding Isner. I, I literally just thought I'll pop into Longland to have a look, but I was so taken by the position of where you watch, I thought I ended up being there for the next hour and a half. But um, Stevens was thrilled with that <laughs> win, uh, actually. I mean, she came, she came through a, a difficult time in that match and you know she's had a really difficult time generally on the court she's had no wins of note and and uh, you could tell she was chuffed to bits and just searching you know searching for some form I was impressed with how she uh, she fought after losing the first set you, you never quite know with Stevens if she's not fancying it and you know her, her opponent qualifier Jewel Niemeyer um, another one who just stormed through qualifying, barely barely losing a game. Stevens can just sort of go, don't fancy this. Yeah. Um, and she didn't today. She was prepared to go to the, the dark places. And um, I'm impressed with that. Tennis, as I always say, is the better for a, a dialed-in Sloane Stevens. However, that might be where my predicting of Sloane Stevens' success ends. Oh, I feel like this you, is a change. You need to know where to cut your losses and run. Mm. They've just, Sloane Stevens. they've just turned the lights on as if it's chucking out time at the pub. I mean, it, it, I think it quite literally is chucking out time. <laughs> I think all of the uh, all of the matches have finished. Yes, the app tells me there is currently low, no live match, uh, which means we have to wait until tomorrow's schedule, which looks like this. 
We start on the Philippe Chatrier court with the world number one, Iga Svantec against Lisha Serenko. Then it's Diane Parry, who David was Googling earlier today, uh, earmarking a potential upset. He decided against that. I decided against it after some some very selfless advice from Matt. I I see why you were going there, because Barbora Kuchikova, the defending champion, hasn't played a match on clay this season. She's... She's there to be upset, surely. I, I'm just not sure Diane Parry is, is the one. Despite Diane Parry's recent win over Madison Inglis, David <laughs> did not pick her <laughs> to said, beat the I don't think she's champion. very good, David. And he said, she recently beat Madison Inglis. <laughs> and hovered. nobody knew w- what to do with that. Uh, <laughs> then we have Rafael Nadal, the 13-time champion, kicking off his campaign against Jordan Thompson. And the first night session slot tomorrow goes to the men's world number one, Novak Djokovic against Yoshihito Nishioka. Kicking things off on Suzanne Longland tomorrow at 11am is Amanda Anisimova against Naomi Osaka. That match shouldn't be there, should it? No. I don't think it should be at that time of day. Um, I'm not sure which match it should displace on the Chatrier court. Well, Catherine and I were talking about that earlier and I thought Catherine put it very very well and I'll, I'll sort of let her explain it but the way I see it is you've got three days to play the first round and there's two possible days that Osaka and Nisimova could be on because mm. each half of the draw is split over two days and yes she's playing on the same um, side of the draw as Igor Sviontek, Barbara Krejcikova, uh, Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic are on those days as well but you don't need to schedule all those matches necessarily on the same day. You know, you could you could get Osaka on Chatre as well. Osaka and Isamova, you say, right, that is the best first round match we have. Which it's, it certainly is. It's yeah. a priority it, it that that draw. has to be on Chatre. And you work yeah. from there. You work backwards from there. Because without question in those conversations, they're working back from a place of Djokovic and Nadal both have to go, go on Chatre. I hope that they also put Sviontek in that in that category um, but yeah for me in that conversation in the same bracket should be Anisimova and Osaka has to go on Chatrier work back from that point and I, I understand the point um, that a number of people that have made to us with, which is undoubtedly a factor which is that Japanese TV that pay a lot of money for these tournaments they are very invested in tennis will have requested that slot the 11am slot because that's 6 p.m. in that's 6 p.m. Uh, Japanese time, but American TV will have requested as late a slot as possible, and TV make demands all the time. And let me tell you, if Spanish TV requested Rafael Nadal to be first on, they'd be told where to go, no matter no matter what time they were asking for, because Could have been Rafael Nadal on, doesn't it? play at 11 a.m. in front of in front of no fans, and mm. that's the end of that. So. Certainly could have been second on, um, yeah. and it would still have fit um, Japanese TV. And, and P.S. It's going to rain all day yeah, I was tomorrow. Say, it might not I be mean, on it won't all. be on at eleven a.m. It is a, it is a massive advantage tomorrow, in particular, to be scheduled on on the one court with a roof. But anyway, I still can't wait for the match. <laughs> it's followed. We'll still be in the front row of uh, <laughs> yeah. Susan Longland press box. It's even followed when it's on Susan Longland by Stanford Rinke against uh, Corentin Mute. David spies an upset. Oh yeah, I have gone big. On Have Mute, I? Yeah, I don't. I don't actually know if Mute is the upset there. Like, right. I can't remember the way it felt, but it's pretty tight, I think. 
Then we have Contivate against Tom Lianovic, and we finish off with Richard Gasquet against Lloyd Harris. Simon Mathieu, we have Petkovic against Dodin. Uh, we have Cameron Norrie, uh, who won a title, incidentally, yesterday in Lyon. We should probably cover the title winners uh, from last week that we decided yesterday. Cameron Norrie won the title in Lyon. He's now won every tournament, all four of them, in which he's been the top seed, which I find really really impressive I mean impressive isn't a big enough word really that's astonishing and and admirable and it goes totally against everything that I've wrongly felt about Cameron Norrie Mm. and I think that you know there has been some evidence in the past that when he's been the favourite in specific matches there was one here at the at the French Open a few years ago where he played a much lower ranked Frenchman and he got absolutely taken apart and I always felt like Norrie was best as an underdog and Actually, that record there proves that when he's when he's the top seed and he's maybe expected to win these titles, he's delivering. He's, he's just such totally, a different player to totally what he was a few years ago. Himself, he's improved. He? He's learned. He has. And I think he's a fantastic example for other players to mm. think what I was doesn't mean I have to be. Mm. He uh, he came to press yesterday to speak to the the British press uh, after the win in Lille and was was. This as outspoken as anyone has been about the tour's decision to remove prize money from Wimbledon, he described uh, he described the tournament as now almost an exhibition. This is uh, Simon Briggs' report in the Telegraph. He said Wimbledon is such a special event, but I think you'll see a lot of top players not playing, just resting and getting ready for the hard courts events, especially that those that don't worry too much about the money. Um, and uh, he says, obviously, it's an extremely difficult situation with everything going on with the war. But for me, it's tough. You're not really playing for anything. This changes the ranking system a lot. They've taken away almost 6,000, 5,000 points from the whole system out of nowhere. So it's going to interfere with the rankings. And then a lot of players that did well at Wimbledon last year are going to be dropping. Um, Martin Fuchovic isn't happy, is he? Martin <laughs> Fuchovic seemingly was very confident that he would defend his quarterfinal points from Wimbledon last year and uh, this this rankings removal is the only reason that those scuppered. those points will be dropping off his number um, so Cameron Norrie a winner in Lyon we also had a title for Casper Ruud in Geneva uh, and women's titles for Martina Trevisan in Rabat a sort of specialist at this time of year we saw her go on that incredibly emotive run here a few years ago didn't we such a lovely example of how just a a couple of points can change your whole destiny in Mm. a tournament because she was on the way out against Muguruza in the match we watched then shouldn't she wins the the whole thing and also a win for Angelique Kerber in Strasbourg why haven't we been talking about, about the potential career slam for Angelique Kerber which could finally be completed in Paris this year has anybody got that in the predictions Matt I'm pretty sure they haven't. Okay. She loves to fly under the radar, does Angelique Kerber. How cool would that sure be? Oh, I'd it. love it. <laughs> I'd love and, it. And did you see the match point? No. Of that no. one? Oh, it was it was vintage Kerber. And I, and I think we can say vintage Kerber. <laughs> yeah. Um, the way she was just defending from the baseline, just getting balls back that you wouldn't expect. And suddenly she sort of hooked a winner um, at an angle as a, uh, to seal the match point. It was just... Yeah, classic Kerber and one. I think it was a brilliant, brilliant match, and I think she is playing really, really well. Um, 
you're not prepared to go any further than no, that, are you, Matt? No, I'm not. I'll, I'll help you out. I'll read through the rest of the order of play. Cam Norrie, second on uh, Court Simone Mathieu. Then it's Amar Raducanu playing someone younger than her, Linda Noskova. Last year's junior champion. Yeah, fascinating matchup oh, wow. there. Uh, then Benoit Paire against Ilya Ivashka that Matt is constantly telling me is really good but he never predicts him to win anything. Uh, Victoria Azarenka, first on court 14. Then Heather Watson, Marin Cilic playing there. First on court 7 is Bianca Andreescu. That's where Dan Evans plays tomorrow as well against Francisco Sorundolo. Uh, and Madison Keys is playing out there as well. A few more matches on the schedule tomorrow than today. And Angelique Kerber is on court number 6. Uh, third on, if you want to follow her progress to the career slam I think that's just about a wrap on day one of Roland Garros David you need to keep some happiness in reserve (laughs) for future days well I'll always have today no matter what (laughs) it was amazing yeah it's been a great day and the sun is setting around us the uh the site is beautifully illuminated i was speaking to molly McElwee from the, the telegraph earlier and she too was having her first ever experience of, of roland garros and she said i never realized how luxe it is here from watching <laughs> it on the telly it's just really luxy um and it is they know how to do things in style in paris don't they so we will be back tomorrow for more tennis podcasting from roland garros and uh, we hope that we get more than the Philippe Chetrier matches in the rain relents, at least for a little while. We have our lovely, lovely Roland Garros mascot for the fortnight, Cooper the Cat. My Cooper. Love alliteration. Hello, Cooper. We love you. We have our mascots. I have Carter. And we scored points today with Sloane Stevens. David has Darwin. Hey! Didn't score points today with Kiki Mladenovic. Mm. And Matt has the dearly departed Gerald the Cat, who... Very dramatically didn't score points today with Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. Uh, we have our executive producers and top blokes, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner. And we, of course, have Billie Jean, sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. She's on the come down after a week with Rosie last week. Um, her, her picks are even better than mine, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, she's having a better time than me. <laughs> yes, I think that is true. And might we have shout outs? Yes, we do. For Dean Adams in Exeter. All right, Dean. Hello, Dean. I don't think there are any tennis deans. Dean Goldfine, the... Uh, former coach of Andy former Roddick. Former coach of Andy Roddick. I've absolutely pulled that out of my backside and I'm very <laughs> pleased with it. <laughs> so there you go, Dean. <laughs> what a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you and hello, Dean. Uh, slightly easier one here. Nick Orrit from Bendigo in Australia. Right, Nick. Oh, a Nick from Australia. Yeah, had a few of those. Um, You're our favourite Nick from Australia, Nick. Indeed. Mm. Uh, thank you so much for being our friend. Yeah, thank you, Nick. And we have Roz Vanderswet from Sydney. Oh, Roz. Love that. My mum's called Roz. Hey. Well, Rosalind. But Roz for short. Is this a Roz with an S or a Z? It is with a Z. With a Z, yeah. I think life is easier for Roses with a Z because my mum's a Ros with an S and she frequently gets called Ross. And she fumes. No, she's very placid about it, but okay. I think it's irritating. Right, OK. I'm, I'm irritated on her behalf, so I hope you've had an easier <laughs> ride, Ros. That doesn't surprise me. Of, of being a Ros. Um, and thank you very much for your support. 
We'll be back tomorrow, folks, with our second of 15 daily Roland Garros 2022 tennis podcasts. I can guarantee you, David will be pumped. We'll speak to you then. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 